Good morning, everybody. It's Michael. I'm over here on the Big Island. It's June 2nd, 2018, and I wanted to give you guys another podcast update. This is going to be an interesting one because I have so many thoughts and feelings and actually had to write down quite a bit of notes in order to try to properly express this. Something that I've, I've noticed is that when I'm on disaster trips, my, my learning goes through the roof. It, there's something that happens in a disaster when you're serving others that I don't, you become hypersensitive or something to learning and observations. And something else I've noticed is that my emotions become hypersensitive. I, I become far more receptive to um, emotional perceptions and feelings and things of that nature. And it has been such a mind trip. When I left Puerto Rico and I was going home, over the period of a couple of days, there was this transitionary period where I could feel this heightened learning state leaving. In the, and I felt like there was nothing I could do to stop it. And it really bugged me because I've noticed this many times is that when I'm on disasters, is I'm like a sponge, a magnet. I'm just learning so much, growing so fast. And the question for me has always been, how would it be possible to maintain or sustain or even be able to turn that on when I'm not on disasters? Is there a formula? And so what's happened now is that coming over to the big island, I found myself going through some mental processes in, in order to prepare you know, for the service. And I started thinking about this and I was like, you know what, if, if I can kind of observe what's going on, I might be able to decipher this formula of why disasters are a, a super learning phase for me. And if I can kind of figure that formula out, maybe there's a way to turn it on and off when I'm not on disaster. So that's the bulk of today's podcast. I'm going to share with you some truth bombs. I mean, this should be mind blowing because it's finally starting to make sense for me. I've been doing disasters for eight years and now I can look at these pathways that I'm draw drawing out on a notebook and I'm saying, I'm seeing that this is, this is a real thing that anybody can do. It's free to us. We have certain tools built into our psyches as humans that if you turn these switches on, they're going to rock your world in the, in the best of ways. Before we get into the pathway, I, I kind of want to fill you in on some of the situational things that are going on here. Again, we don't know when the lava is going to turn off. We, I took a helicopter flight the other day to see it and, and photograph it. It was an amazing experience. It was just incredible how, how large the plume was over 250 feet tall, of just lava shooting straight into the air from fissure eight. And all this lava is creating a river, which then kind of pulls up into these giant lakes of hot lava. And the, and the lava is, is super hot, 2000 degrees Celsius. And so what happens is it follows the path of least resistance. And in some places it creates like a pool until that pool becomes overflowing. And then it creeps over the edge. And that's where the fast moving lava comes in. And sometimes it can move very quickly. And these are some of the things that the civil defense here is, is dealing with. Uh, long story short, they've been evacuating different streets you know, day after day, a couple of streets, more streets will be evacuated. And um, so what's happening is at the shelters, some of the people come in and some do not. We are responsible for feeding everybody at the shelters. And much of this is done through coordination. We finance most of it. In fact, yeah, almost all of it. Sometimes groups will come in and they'll do either a meal. We have a group that comes in on Thursdays. They do all three meals. But for the most part, we're financing it. We coordinate the volunteers that help serve it. And we're responsible for the feeding in the shelters. You know, I was driving yesterday. I picked up some food in Hilo. 
you know, I was driving in my van and I, by myself and I was thinking, what a, an amazing opportunity that I'm so grateful for, you know, to have this trust, to have these meals in the van, you know, and I, I just couldn't have been happier. So it was very interesting to me to feel that. And I started thinking about Puerto Rico and the numbers that we did there, you know, 20,000 meals plus water a day, you know, and sometimes more 27, 30,000 feeding all these people. We've, we did huge numbers in Haiti and in the Philippines. And one observation that I had was that the numbers didn't matter. The numbers of people that I was serving in each of these disasters had no effect on how I was feeling in terms of my service and, and giving. And this comes up a lot is like on your first disaster, uh, I think it's even worse. Your, your emotions are magnified probably 20 or 30 X. And so if you're slighted or if there's an ego thing, it feels very painful. And uh, that's why a lot of people have a hard time adjusting to disasters. And, and even myself, you know, I, like in, in certain situations, I can see like, wait a second, why am I so sensitive to this? You know, but, but coming back to this is I was thrilled to realize that it's not the numbers of people that we serve. I sometimes find myself questioning, well, I'm not really doing a whole lot. You know, I'm not really, you know, so there's this constant battle with your ego. And I'll talk a little bit more about the ego in a second, but service is wonderful when you just let it go. I'll give you another example. So, you know, we're serving in these shelters and some, some of the people in the shelters may be homeless. They were homeless before the volcano. And so there may be a tendency to think, well, should they be here? And that's not what, you know, the Salvation Army teaches is, you know, and I'm not a member of the Salvation Army Church. I just love doing disaster aid work is that everybody is entitled to be treated equally and with dignity and, and with kindness and love. And we shouldn't judge their background. We shouldn't judge who they are. Our job is to serve them and to feed them. And that's it. That's all we need to wor worry about. Not the numbers of how many people there are. And so you keep on revisiting this until you just get to a point where you surrender your soul to the service. You unplug your ego from the equation. And there's a couple side notes I want to share with you guys. Some of the hard parts about this particular disaster is there, there is some downtime. And I've been trying to use that downtime to reflect more. And this is something that I just wouldn't do, you know, back home, I, back home, I would be racing to do something else. And, and I don't have that here. I'm far more reflective on disaster trips. But let me share with you some of the things that happen that many people may not know about. Okay, for example, so if we are serving in a government run shelter, we have certain rules and restrictions that we have to play by. For example, if we serve food after a certain number of hours, we cannot serve that food anymore. So sometimes we have to get rid of that food. And in some cases, it might be good food. And so this discrete disposal of food is something that happens. It's a real thing where we may have, in some cases, a lot of extra food that was cooked hot and now we have to get rid of it. And, and some people would see that as being wasteful, but the truth of the matter is we just can't risk you know, people getting sick from eating, you know, food that maybe goes bad. So that, that part of it hurts is to throw away a lot of food that you know that, that some people may want. Uh, we feed everybody we can. We try to make it stretch and last as, as much as we can. Sometimes we have extras that we tell, you know, sandwiches or whatever, and, and people can take it, you know, to their tents or their shelters with them. That's not a problem. What happened, what's happening here is there are a lot of agencies who kind of just came here from outside from the mainland, they weren't here on the big island when it happened. And what we're seeing is there's a lot of agencies trying to get into the shelters. They're not supposed to, 
feet at the shelters because we're the ones who are or are basically not. I don't think contracted is a good word. Trusted to maintain this. So that's one of the problems that we're dealing with is that people start showing up with food. So for example, somebody came in the other day with two pans of chili from another aid organization. And he, this guy basically put them down on the table and said, Hey, we're going to be serving lunch here. And and I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that we were designated to be the servers. We didn't know who he was. We didn't know where he came from. The food could have been bad. We're not going to let him serve that in in the shelter. So we started getting into it. And one of the funny things about this is I, I wasn't wearing my American flag hat, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but I've learned that when I'm wearing that hat, people don't question me as much. I had on my Nike hat, which is uh, far more comfortable. It just feels a little better. And uh, so the day of the Nike hat, all these people were contesting me. It was very interesting. As soon as I put the hat back on, no problems. And, and so anyway, I started getting into it with this guy. And it's like, hey, man, I'm real sorry, but you cannot serve that food here. And, you know, he's questioning why. And he says, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. And I was like, no, you're not. You, can't, you cannot do it. So I, I kind of told him to leave. And what happened was some of the other shelter evacuees saw this and they became upset with me because it was hot chili and it looked pretty good, right? And the truth of the matter is we feed them pretty well, but it, they didn't like the fact that I turned turned their friend away. So uh, this, this certain agency, I can't go into names, but they're still trying to show up and serve in the parking lot, you know, and, and it's off limits. They shouldn't even be there. And so these are some of the challenges that we, we we're dealing with is trying to give as much love as possible to these evacuees. Think about it. Your house has been swallowed by hot lava. It's crazy. And, you know, see, so food becomes a comfort thing. You know, if you're in a shelter for that long of period, the the quality of the food matters. So something that I've noticed, this is kind of hard to talk about, but it's amazing for me to see the kinds of support I get from people all over the world many of which are complete strangers, you know, through emails and Facebook posts, Instagram. I I have a set of people who are extremely supportive and encouraging because sometimes it's not exactly easy to swallow your pride and ego every day, right? And so I, I kind of feed off that, right? And then there's this other set of individuals who it feels like their only purpose in contacting me is to create an emotional, um, instability or something there's this one individual I'm thinking about two times in this last week, I felt like I was under an emotional attack. There was no reason for it. I can't even now wrap my mind around why somebody would do something like that. And when I expressed what I, what I felt they were doing to me, uh, it was, it really ticked me off because if I get emotionally rattled and I'm going into a shelter and I'm trying to serve, you know, suffering people, it affects how I'm working. And so I've kind of come to the conclusion that there are forces of good and evil out there. And I felt like I was on the receiving end of, of a, of a personal emotional attack. And it, and it makes me question, you, you know, why would somebody do that? Why, what benefit is there's nothing good that's going to come for it. Why would you contact me and try to rattle me emotionally? And and so that was a very interesting thing. And I've come to the conclusion, I just got to kind of shut off um, anybody who I think, you know, might try to rattle me. But 
It also made me note that you should pay clear attention to how make how people make you feel. You, you know, there's this intellectual side of it and there's an emotional side of to every relationship. And for the most part, I don't get a, an emotional response uh, in day-to-day interactions. You know, I do in service. Intellectually, you can you can speak logic all day and stuff, but it's these feelings that people give you. If somebody lights your world on fire, if they rock your world and they inspire you and you feel your mind expanding and growing and you feel loved and support, those are the people you want to surround yourselves with. And if you have these other group of people who call themselves friends or mentors or coaches or whoever they may be, no matter what they've done to you in the past, if you feel they are messing with you and they are rattling you and they are psychologically harming you, that is nature's way of saying stay away from those people. Okay, it's, if, if that's what they're doing to you, avoid them. It doesn't matter who they are. Okay, and so I know that's kind of brutal, but it's the truth. And that's kind of something that I've learned this week. But another thing, so I know this is kind of all all over the place. I feel like I'm just talking to you guys. Something happened this week where I was in a meeting. I was currently logistics chief and there were some things that had been changing around. And I won't go into specifics, but I felt like I was slighted and my ego was, or not my ego, I felt like I was thrown under the bus. Okay. So to speak in this meeting where I, I thought I had support and I didn't. And I'm like, what the heck happened? And I felt my ego in a, in a way I had never felt it before. It was very subtle. I, I kind of think of it as if you take, if you were to take a sheet of paper and put it on like a, a flat marble countertop and rub your finger across that edge, that's how subtle it was. It was this very subtle shift of a gear where my ego kicked in and I was angry. And uh, I, I was thinking to my, it was like meeting a person who wasn't me. And I'm thinking here I am in this world of service and this person, my ego, is trying to take over. It's trying to think selfishly. And I kind of had to suppress it. And I was like, what a trip, you know, to meet your ego like that. It, and um, it really rocked my world. And, and I started thinking about it more. I was like, it shouldn't happen, you know, in, in a service zone. So I started coming back to this idea of what happens to a person psychologically when they are in a disaster. And so I called Craig Arnold, my good friend who I've served many disasters with. And I'm like, Craig, what is happening mentally when you prepare to go in to serve? And the equations I'm about to give you, to me, I think they're they're life-changing because it's going to allow us to get this super mindset when, when we're not um, in a disaster zone, so to speak. So what I believe is happening is that when the call comes in and, and they say, Michael, when you need to go to a disaster, the first thing that happens is I have a tremendous sense of purpose given to me. Purpose, huge purpose, is inspiring. It gives your life meaning. The second part of it is there is a sense of urgency. Pack your bags and start getting ready. So in order to have purpose in urgency, what happens is you start discounting all the minutia in your life. Okay, so these little things and social media and college football, all of those things start going out the window. And as you decrease the minutia of your regular life, what happens is your mental and physical capacity for the present purpose increases. Okay, so that's the first little flow chart. Increased purpose, increased urgency. Minutia goes down, capacity 
goes up. So in order to have this purpose, in order to, order to focus and prepare, you have to have self-sacrifice. That doesn't always happen in regular day-to-day life. You're kind of forced into this thing. Like if you want to go on this disaster, you're going to have to put yourself second to others. There's a quote I'll share with you in just a second about that. So as self-sacrifice goes up, what happens is your ego starts to go down. And as your ego goes down and as you're able to wrangle that entity, you're going to find these opportunities that your humility starts increasing. Okay, so as your ego goes down, 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 you become more humble. You're more willing to clean those toilets. You're more willing to serve people or drive around in a car. And as your humility goes down, your ability to learn increases. You cannot learn without humility. And I I believe the ego is a tremendous inhibitor to the learning process. The larger your ego is, the harder it is it's going, going to be for you to learn because learning happens when we know we are deficient for knowledge. That's the relationship. If you feel like you know it all, you're not going to be able to learn anything. If you are a, a deficiency is exposed in terms of knowledge, you become hungry for it and you just say, yeah, you know what? This is something I don't know. I want to learn it. So other things that happen, and I'll come back to regular life in a second, is that you get out of a routine. Routines, I believe, are toxic in certain situations. I'll I'll explain that in a second. But as you come into a new environment, in a new situation, you are exposed to a variety of opportunities that you haven't seen before. This creates a sense of wonder. And because of that sense of wonder, and that increased capacity, and that increased humility, you start learning. And that also comes back to, you know, sometimes we won't have internet connection in these areas. You don't even have connectivity. And I find myself wrapped up in my thoughts and I'm reflecting more and I'm thinking about all these things and I'm writing them down in a journal. And and there are other opportunities such as risk-taking. You don't have a lot of time to make this decision. You know, you really want to help people. You got to decide right now. So the risk-taking increases, your critical thinking increases, and that provides the framework of an amazing learning opportunity. And that's why I believe disasters, my mind just explodes of everything that I'm learning about. So if I were to summarize this pathway, uh, everything I just listed, you should see my notes on this arrows going everywhere. Uh, The trigger for it is putting others first. That's where it really starts. And I think if you're a parent and you have children a lot of this is just built in to the family relationship because you, you're always thinking about your kids first before yourself. For a single person who's never had kids, that can be a little bit tricky. Why? Because we're mostly selfish. And I've heard that so many times is that when people have children, <laughs> they die in a sense. They, they give up their former lives and their selfish lives because they're think, thinking about their kids so much. But I think this is helpful and applicable to everybody. And William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he was sick and there was a conference and he wanted to uh, share some thoughts with them. And so he sent a telegram to this officer's convention and he had one word in there, others. If you can put others first, many of these things are going to trigger naturally. 
Uh, and that's what it comes down to is service forces you to wrangle your ego. Okay, humility goes up, learning goes up, get these new opportunities, get more time to reflect. It's a very powerful thing. It's built into your mind already. So let me talk about real quick what I perceive is happening in regular life for me. Okay, and I've come to the conclusion that if you do not have a huge sense of purpose, and if you do not have a huge sense of urgency, your life becomes filled with minutia. And as it fills with minutia, your capacity to do great things goes down. Okay, we're only given so much time in a day. And as that capacity goes down, we don't reflect as much. Okay, and the equation that I really want to give you guys here to think about is that comfort, the love of comfort, combined with a routine, day in and day out, same opportunities, same people, same places, same things, combined with selfishness is absolute poison. Okay, so if you find yourself in a routine day in, day out, you're you're not going to have these opportunities to learn. If you find yourself or your thoughts centralized on comfort or your ego, uh, that kind of feeds itself. The more comfort you get, the more comfort you want. And there has to be this discipline to say no. And if it grows, it's going to be very hard for you to get out of, especially if you're being selfish. So I think that's what, that, what, that is what happens when I go home. I, I stop thinking about others. I get on a plane and then, oh, hey, I got all these bills. You know, and I have, have to, this work to do and have this project to do. Why? Because I've got to make money and I got to live. And, you, you know, and I start thinking about myself more and it kicks me out of this mental state. So I know that is a long rambling uh, podcast, but I think it is at least the framework of what I believe is accessible to anybody. I, I really believe service is the best medication on the planet. It does so many wonderful things to your psyche. And it just comes down to putting others before yourself. And so if you have those opportunities to create a purpose based around helping others, you will find tremendous happiness. And so that's my thought for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I think I'm going to be here a couple more days and probably head back this next week on Maui. We've essentially built the pipeline. Um, We have an idea of how it's going to work and how the food's going to come in and streamlining everything. And, and, uh, you know, if it blows up and and things become crazy again, maybe I'll be back here, but for the most part, I think we have it pretty much under control and, uh, we're just getting the new people plugged in. So I don't, I'm not sure I'll be here too much longer, but I just wanted to say to those of you who have supported me and have had kind words to say to me as I'm out here, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you a lot and I'll be in touch soon.